after death. We all know that one day we will die. Uh, we've been to funerals, and one day it'll be ours. It's one of the most puzzling and sobering realities about life, isn't it? There is a body with life, a personality that we can relate to, and then a moment later, there's simply a motionless body, unresponsive. The person that we have known is gone, and it's a heartbreaking thing to lose someone you love. Is that it? Is there life for that person beyond death? Will we continue to exist beyond death? Well, what does God have to say? It would be really helpful if you had a Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, put your hand up and the stewards will bring you one. But if you have a Bible or on your phone, look up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just keep your hands up and they'll bring you Bibles. And if you have one of the church Bibles and turn to page 1157. Page 1157. Should find yourself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a letter written uh, by the Apostle Paul in the first century to a Christian church in Corinth. And believe it or not, we've been working through this book now for many years, this chapter. I do a little bit every Easter time. We're nearly done. I think one more Easter. Next year, I think we might be done on this chapter, and I have to work out what to do after that. But back then, just as today, there were people who were skeptical about a future resurrection of the body after death. And that's part of the purpose why Paul is writing this letter. So I'm going to read from verse 35 down to verse 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. 
The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. This is God's word. It will help you just to keep that open uh, in this uh, brief time. The, look back at the questions there of verse 35. They're actually coming from somebody with a smirk on their face. The attempt is actually to ridicule the whole idea of resurrection. How were the dead raised? Well, with what kind of body will they come? It's kind of in that sort of tone. You know, is this some sort of Hollywood zombie idea, the walking dead? It sounds kind of gross and macabre. And what about people whose bodies have, have been in the ground so long that their body has long gone? Everything disintegrated. Their atoms now recycled. One uh, cynical philosopher asked the question, what would happen on Resurrection Day to a Christian eaten by a cannibal? How can you really believe all that talk about someone being resurrected from the dead? What's Paul's reply? Well, it's there in verse 36. Fool! The, the, the English translation has made it a bit more polite. He basically says to them, you fool. Now, why does he say that? Well, Psalm 14 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And these questions that uh, raise doubts about resurrection bodies are only serious objections if you forget there is a creator God behind all of reality. If there is a God who created everything in the universe out of nothing, just merely by speaking words, then these smirky comments are kind of wiped off people's faces. They're just simply foolish. As we were created by God, then we already have information, uh, the Apostle Paul says, about the possibility of resurrection life by observing the creation. And he points to three bits of evidence, which we're going to consider this morning. Firstly, the transformation of seeds in verses 35 to 38. We can easily lose the wonder of the miracle of seeds. But it is an utterly extraordinary thing. Take a look at a seed in your hand. It, it appears to be lifeless, small, devoid of anything much and yet an amazing transformation takes place when you bury this in the ground. And of course, nothing will happen until you bury it in the ground. As he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And before you bury it, as you look at this sort of tiny little lifeless bare seed, it gives you no indication of what's going to come from it. And in the right conditions, it will germinate and grow into a green, vigorous plant that can become all sorts of exciting things. And God created a world with seeds that contain within them a God-determined body of a plant that will germinate and grow and spread up. It's the most amazing miracle of transformation. We take it for granted. But a tiny seed can produce an eight-foot sunflower. Stunning. 
tiny acorn can produce a, a, a massive oak that will live for 800 years and tower above us. Or from a seed that you can have in your, in your hand. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Well, study seeds, the Apostle Paul says. Consider what glorious transformations God can bring, bring about when those are put in the ground. I don't know how you view cemeteries, whether you see them as sort of uh, spooky, scary places. But the biblical view is that these are God's harvest fields. The, the, body, the, the bodies buried there are like seeds awaiting the great final day of resurrection. And there's a second piece of evidence that he points to in this chapter, and that is to observe in creation the adaptation of different God-given bodies. Look at verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. See, all of God's creatures are, are, have been given bodies by God that perfectly adapt them for different environments. The flesh and blood body of a bird is perfectly designed for soaring in the skies. The flesh and blood body of a fish doesn't do so well in the skies. But it's terrific for the oceans and the lakes and the seas. Perfectly adapted. What an amazing God who creates plants and people, birds and fish, all perfectly adapted for their environment. And if that's not enough, look up to the heavens, the Apostle Paul says. Look out into space. He's able to create heavenly bodies as well as earthly bodies. He made the sun. 109 times bigger than the earth. Something that is sort of a, a constantly exploding hydrogen fusion bomb that produces all the light and heat that sustains our planet. And we are in this perfect Goldilocks zone, they call it. The, the, the right distance exactly from the sun where this planet can have life. Who can conceive of a God who can make one sun? And yet, of course, he's made... Billions of suns, billions of stars in billions of galaxies. We have a God who can create all these heavenly bodies that hang in space, all as he's determined. It's a dizzying thing to consider. But here's the point. It's in verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. Do you get the point? A creator God who can uh, transform seeds into incredible plants, who can adapt different types of bodies for different environments and creates bodies of such splendor and glory, such a God can easily create resurrection bodies. No problem for him. And this is what is so extraordinary in these verses. It is to also see the continuity from the physical to the gloriously transformed resurrection body. You never forget when you first encounter a dead body. For me, it was as an 18-year-old dental student trying to learn human anatomy, and I was taken into the dissection room. A human body, which was once vital and strong and capable of great and wonderful things, was simply lying there as a lifeless corpse. And yet the Christian hope 
is that as we come to bury those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, what we bury is something that is perishable, weak, powerless, will one day be transformed into glorious resurrection life. Look at verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown in dishonor, it is raised in the body is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. See, what God will bring about on Resurrection Day is not merely the raising of our old physical bodies, but from them, the creation of a new spiritual body that will be adapted and suited to enjoy eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. And note, uh, when it speaks of a spiritual body, it doesn't mean an immaterial one. It is a body. The Christian hope on Resurrection Day is not a disembodied state, but a transformed body that will both share a connection with our old bodies, and yet be radically adapted to enjoy an eternal existence. Bodies that will never perish. Bodies that will never let us down. That will never dishonor us. That will never be weak or diseased. Now we yearn for glory. It's something in each one of us. The athlete that trains for the gold medal, for the moment where you're called up front to receive the award or accolade for some achievement or act of creativity or bravery. We're fascinated in our culture by superheroes. It seems to be this one constantly in the movies. We're fascinated by the spectacle of seeing who is the fastest, the quickest, the strongest. And I think this fascination comes because we were created as those who are destined for glory. God has a plan whereby his people are predestined to share in his eternal glory, the Bible says. Now, how do we know this is true and not some, you know, mythic fable that's just there for wishful thinking? Well, there's a third bit of evidence here that Paul reminds them of. And it is how God is the giver of life in verses 45 to 49. Look at verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 2, the first book in the Bible, when God created um, the first man, Adam. Let me quote you from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, one of the great mysteries of science is this. Where does life come from? Scientists can manipulate living cells, but we still cannot create life from scratch, from inanimate chemicals. And the Bible tells us that it is God. He is the one who is alone has eternal life. And he is the God who gives life. He's the one who formed man from the dust. What are we? Moist dust. And yet he breathes his life into the man and makes him a living being with the capability of passing on that life. 
Now, the great drama in the Bible is how we messed all of that up. Read on in Genesis, you'll see how Adam rebelled against his creator and created distance between him and the God of life. And he's cast out of the garden and he experiences physical separation and death. But God, in his kindness and grace, sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world as a rescue mission, as a lifesaver. On Wednesday this last week, uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, led the tributes to Lieutenant Colonel Beltram, who swapped places so bravely with a female hostage and sustained injuries from the ISIS supporter leading to his death. Well, there's a category to help us understand what Jesus came to do. The Son of God came into the world to swap places with rebel sinners, dying in their place on the cross to to both pay the penalty for our rebellion and to defeat, defeat death itself. And it was his resurrection from the dead, that first Easter morning, where God is declaring that now there is a a last Adam. This is a new creative act, humanity 2.0. God raising him bodily to a new resurrection life as a start of a brand new creation, a brand new humanity. We know that there is life beyond death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now the Apostle Paul himself, who writes this letter, took some persuading. This was the case. He was a religious terrorist when he started off. He he sought to imprison all those who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, that claimed that he was risen from the dead. It was abhorrent to him, and so he pursued these Christians and sought to throw them into prison to, 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 to show his approval that they should be put to death. But his great conversion moment was a blinding vision on the Damascus Road where he saw the resurrected Jesus speaking to him from heaven. And instead of flattening him, this Jesus reached out in grace. And that moment totally transformed his life. He had met Jesus, the heavenly man. And it convinced him that we too can share in the resurrection life of Jesus. Look back at verse 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we've been born of the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. The God who gives life a creation has displayed his power to give life in the new creation, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as I finish this morning, can you see that there are two humanities described in these verses? There are those who bear the image of the first Adam because we're here. And because he rebelled, we too are subject to death. And there are those who, through trusting Jesus and what he's achieved on the cross, also now bear the image of the last man, the heavenly man. They've been born again. They've received eternal life, the Bible promises. 
Christians die like everybody else, but with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead because we belong to Jesus and his new humanity. And so my question for you this Easter Sunday is, which humanity are you? The first Adam or the last Adam? We've heard five people share their stories this morning of how their lives have been changed and are being changed by coming to know and trust this Jesus. We're going to bury them today, pictorially, as we put them under the water. And then we're going to raise them out of the water very quickly, don't worry. As a symbolic representation that their lives have been linked with the last Adam and they will share his resurrection life when they die. What about you? Which humanity do you belong to this morning? Well, maybe you've got some questions. Uh, this is all new to you. Well, that's why we have got this Christianity Explored course. Why don't you take one of these cards and just email to sign up? It's, it's starting on Thursday the 12th of April in the evening. You'd be most welcome to come along to that. But maybe today you know that you're not ready for death that you have no assurance that you'd be welcomed into heaven. You don't have confidence that your sins are forgiven. You, you, you don't have confidence that you're right with God. That, and I want to say to you today, you could sort this out today. I'm going to put a prayer up uh, on, on the screen. This is a prayer that you could use to respond personally to God. Let me read it through. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Now I'm going to pray that again slowly. I invite you just to... Um, Close your eyes, bow your heads, and if you want to make this your prayer today, why don't you pray this prayer, echo it in your own heart to God. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. That I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me. That I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Well, you know, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today and you meant it, 
This has been a great day. You've gone from death to life, and we'd love to help you. Um, there'll be folks at the front here uh, willing to pray with you, and you could let them know, or you could give your details to the information desk, and we'd love to come and give you some materials that will help you grow as you start the Christian life. Well, it is.